0: The greatest mistake in history. <clears throat> so here's what I'm going to call the greatest mistake, but while well, I'm not calling it, I want you to guess who? Who do you think made the greatest mistake in history? You know that we're in the book of Luke. We've been in there for a long time. We're nearing the end of it. So that's a little bit of a hint. Who do you think made the greatest mistake in history? And I'm not talking about Adam. We know that Adam sinned, and that was a great sin. But if he wouldn't have, I would have, right? We can all say that. If he wouldn't have, I would have. So apart from Adam, knowing we're nearing the end of Luke, who made the greatest mistake in history? Anybody want to make a guess? Huh? Judas. Who was you going to say? I know your scripture. (laughs) She knows my scripture. Never mind. She can't say. (laughs) Judas. Judas. I believe made the greatest mistake in history. Judas, she didn't see my scripture exactly. Judas walked with Jesus. Imagine that. Judas walked with the Son of God. Man became flesh. Walked with Him for three and a half years. He witnessed all the miracles that all the other disciples witnessed. He heard all these teachings. Then he turns around and betrays Him. The greatest mistake in the history. Of mankind. We're going to go to Luke chapter 22, six short verses, one through six. But don't be fooled by the briefness of that, because Rosanna's probably saying, Yeah, I sent her a ton of scripture. There's a ton of scripture. Our main one is very short Luke 22, one through six. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to ask someone to pray. Now, the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. The Passover, that is the event, the festival where all Jewish people would go. They would go to Jerusalem for the Passover. That was to celebrate annually the Passover that happened in Egypt. It began in Egypt whenever God said He was going to destroy all the firstborn of Egypt. All the firstborn of the cattle, of the man, all the firstborn was going to be destroyed unless the blood was applied to the doorposts and lentils then He would pass over that household. That's what Passover means. Those that were inside that house where the blood was applied were spared. They were saved. Jesus is our Passover. When His blood is applied to our lives, death will pass over us. Amen? Amen. Amen. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill Him, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve, so he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Did not want to crowd around. Would someone please offer up a prayer? Yes. We ask, Lord, that bless us with the gospel message this morning, that, that your voice is heard throughout the journey. Lord, we ask that he continue to be healthy and happy to serve this church for many years. And we ask, Lord, that you continue to bless us in any way, in our families and all the things that we do ask for in name. Amen. 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 Amen, brother. It's good, I think, to involve people. It's not just a one-man show. It's everybody that makes this church. Amen? Amen. You know, I have to wonder as I I usually when I begin I try to I know where I'm going early in the week and I ponder this throughout the week. I wonder if often when Jesus was preaching and teaching in the temple or other areas, we know that often that there were Pharisees and scribes and religious leaders there listening. We know that they was often, as we've learned in Luke, often trying to find things of which to accuse him, trying to set traps for him. And I wonder if there were times when Judas was maybe out in amongst a crowd and he heard and knew that they were seeking ways that they could destroy Jesus. I just, that was just, you know, I'm mentally thinking out loud here. I wonder if he was into the crowd once in a while. You know, human feelings are probably mixed towards Judas over the years. You know, there are probably some that have hated him fervently because he betrayed Jesus Christ. Others may have a little pity towards Judas because they might pity him for him not realizing what he was doing. And you know, with that said... We should have sympathy or have pity towards all who are lost. Amen. Yeah. That should move us. That should move us because we care about them. We should have pity or empathy towards them. Some of Jesus' enemies may have made Judas out to be a hero for his part in ending Jesus' earthly ministry. Well, they thought they were ending it, but they didn't actually. And there may be some that actually question God about allowing, or was it fair for one man to bear such guilt? Because he bared or bore the guilt after he realized what he had done. The guilt of making the greatest mistake in the history of mankind. Betraying the Savior of the world. Let that sink in. He betrayed the Savior of the world. Betray means to give over. It means to deliver a person to be kept by another, to deliver a person to prison, or to deliver a person to judgment. We know in this case, He delivered him to judgment. He delivered Jesus to judgment where He would be sentenced to death. He delivered them, Him into their hands with a kiss. <clears throat> I sometimes wonder, as I already said, we know that the religious leaders and the Pharisees, all those, they were there often. They knew what he looked like. I wonder the necessity for him to go out there and identify him. But then I think, well, it was at nighttime. It was going to be in the garden. They wanted to make sure they got the right guy, didn't they? But I think the main role of Judas was to guide them to a secluded place where He could deliver them into their hands. They did not want to do it when there was a crowd of people around. Because he knew they knew that they loved Jesus. They knew that there would be an uproar if they took Jesus in the midst of why He was teaching and there was a great crowd around. They knew that they couldn't do it then. They feared a revolt against them. Anybody who may be of the mindset of having pity towards Judas, we must, under, if you have pity towards him, let's just pretend I do. We must understand these facts. Judas had a choice. Judas had a choice. Judas was not forced by God to betray Jesus. Judas was not forced by Satan to betray Jesus. Satan did not force him to do that. I know that the Scripture said that Satan entered Judas and he went and conferred with the chief priests and the captains how he might betray him. But he chose to do that. He chose the wrong thing long before this. Judas made wrong choices long before this. The Scriptures reveal that Judas made wrong choices. The Scriptures reveal that Judas never was really converted. He never was truly saved. His own desires and his own decisions placed him in a position where Satan could manipulate him. John 12, 4-6 says, But one of his disciples... Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray Him, so this was before, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This He said, not that He cared for the poor. So you see, if He was already saved, wouldn't He care for the poor? Indeed He would. Do you care for the poor? I hope so. If you're saved and if you believe in Jesus. Not that He cared for the poor but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. My friends, he was never saved. He made wrong choices long before he decided to betray Jesus. His actions, his sins, friends, opened the door wide open for Satan to enter into him and to use him in Satan's efforts to try to destroy Jesus. My friends... Like Judas, when we sin, when someone sins, we are opening the door to allow Satan to get a foothold in our lives. I'm pausing for effect there. When we sin, we are opening the door for Satan to get a foothold in our lives. Satan will try anything to distract you from doing what God has called you to do. He'll do anything he can to render you ineffective for the kingdom of God. Sure. There are many ways, many areas where Satan wants to enter in and take control of your lives. Here is a few. Number one, your heart. He wants to affect your heart so that it is not God's alone. God's Word tells us in Proverbs 4.23 in the New Livings Translation, Guard your heart above all else. For it determines the course of your life. My friends, guard your hearts above everything else. That's the most, that's the most vital part right there. It's the heart because that's where that determines what we do. That determines how generous we are. It determines how forgiving we are. It determines how stubborn we are. It determines what we do. It determines the course of our lives. Satan knows that he has an entry point into your life. If God is not first in your heart. That's right. If God isn't first, He knows He can squeeze that little to- a toe in there. And then He'll get the whole foot in there. Then He'll have complete control. Because the very first commandment is this. You shall have no other God before you but Me. Exodus 23. You shall have no other God before Me, it says. No other God but Him. Next is your worries. Your worries. He wants to make you doubt God's love. He wants to make you doubt God's provision. He wants you to stress about the things of the world, because then you're not trusting in God's ability to care for you. Do you doubt? Do you worry? Do you stress? What well, you need to stop at. Put it behind you. Don't give Satan that foothold. He wants to control your everyday thinking so that you are just like the world. Isn't it amazing how many people profess to know Christ and follow Him, and yet their thinking pattern is just like those of the world? Like everyone else in the world. Satan loves that. Satan wants you to be so absorbed with the ways of the world that you are clueless about what God's Word says. Mark fourteen. Mark 4, I'm sorry. Mark 4, 18 and 19 says, Now these are the ones sown among the thorns. He's talking about the seeds. They're scattering the seeds, but it's actually the Word. They are the ones who hear the Word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and desire for other things enter in and choke the Word and it becomes unfruitful. So there's many out there that profess to be saved. They look like they're saved. They act like they're saved. But the cares of this world... The deceitfulness, the lust of the money, the lust of these other things, draw them away, give Satan a foothold. You know, I was thinking, at the Last Supper, I know that's going to be, it's coming up here as we get through Luke, right? At the Last Supper, remember what Jesus said? One of you will betray me. One of you is going to betray me. Well, they start asking, Lord, is it I? Is it I, Lord? Is it I? So they even had doubts. You know, maybe it's me. Maybe there's something in me I don't know about. They didn't all automatically say, well, we know it's going to be that Judas. They didn't say that, did they? No. Why? Because he appeared to be just like them, one of them, when he wasn't, right? Satan wants to control your speech. He wants you to tear others down, tear them apart with your words. But God, my friends, wants us to be holy. He wants us to be a voice for Him. He wants us to be people who heal, who help with our words. Amen. But Satan would rather, rather, mu- rather you, rather me, he would rather us mess up big time with our mouths, wouldn't he? He would indeed. You know, a, fruit, a few critical words here. Maybe a couple complaints there. A little bit of profanity mixed in. A little bit of gossip. That would go a long way. Right? We know that goes a long way. A little bit of gossip here. That's given him permission. That's given Satan permission to use our lives to tear people apart. Sounding no different than unbelievers. Satan knows that he can cause a lot of damage with our mouths, doesn't he? if we do not bring them under God's control. We've all read James. See, I told you there was going to be more scripture. James 3, 1 through 10. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. But indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn the whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And a tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed. And has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father. And with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursings, my brother, these things ought not be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? The question. Good, I've got one head out there shaking. No. No, it does not. My friends, if we are His, let's control these tongues. Pray, God, control these, the, the words that this mouth speaks. Let them glorify. Let them build up and not tear down. Some might ask, why? Why did Judas betray Jesus Christ? Some have suggested that he, because he was a lover of money. We already know that he stole from the money bag. We know that he received money for betraying him. Some have suggested that there were political motives for this traitorous act. According to this theory, Judas might have become disillusioned when Jesus showed very little interest in forming a rebellion against the Roman government and reestablishing an independent kingdom for Israel. And I think that is probably a pretty good reason why. That's probably one of the, the big reasons why. He may have thought, he may have really thought in himself that if I would betray him, I'm going to force his hand I'm going to force Jesus to set up this kingdom that I want Him to set up. I'm going to force Him. I, I have seen His power. I have seen Him calm the storm. I have seen Him raise the dead. I know if I force His hand that He's going to call down angels from heaven and He's going to destroy this Roman authority. And we're going to have an independent Israel. I think that could very well be the reason why He did what He did. But he didn't understand Jesus' plan, did he? I'm going to go back to the sinfulness of Judas. And I found a, not really a story, but an explanation called Progressive Wickedness. It says Men do not become great villains at once. Souls are not like met- <laughs> meteoric bodies that are blazing amongst the stars at one moment and the next in some dark pit on earth wrapped in obnoxious and sulfurous smoke. They are rather like trees that fall by degree, meaning a little bit at a time, a little bit and a little bit. See that great monarch of the forest. For years, disease has been in its roots, and a long succession, succession of foul insects have been gnawing at its vitals. Slowly and silently, the degree or the decline goes on. At first, the outward symptoms are scarcely visible. A few withered leaves on one of its branches. But on a certain spring, they notice that there are many branches that have dead leaves on them. But after a few more years, the deterioration proceeds and goes further and further. Until at last, at its core, it is completely rotten. I think of the tree that we cut down last summer. Huge, four foot across, straight across the stump. But it was rotten at its core. It was hollow at its core. My friends, that is the way sin is. That's a, way, that's a good example of how sin works in our lives. It starts very, very small. Like that little insect that gets into that tree and starts gnawing away at it. If we allow sin into our lives, it just gnaws away at it, gnaws away at it, gnaws away at it until eventually we are rotten to the core like that tree. You know, King Solomon is a, an example of allowing sin into his life. King Solomon in the very beginning, he had a storybook career. He was wise enough when God made him king. He, God, is, God commissioned him to build the temple. He wouldn't allow his father to do it because he was a man of war. But he commissioned Solomon to build this beautiful temple that we spoke of last week. Storybook career, God says, what do you want? He had enough wisdom to say, Lord, that you would grant me the wisdom and understanding to lead your people. And because he didn't ask for riches and power and all that, God gave him all. He gave him the wisdom. He had great wisdom, one of the wisest men to ever live. But he still allowed sin into his life. He, He completely disobeyed a direct command of God. In Deuteronomy 17, God commanded all the kings of Israel. He said, do not multiply horses. Do not multiply wives. Do not multiply silver and gold. Solomon would have known this. His father David would have taught him this. But I believe because of his great wealth and his great power, he considered those minor infractions too minor to take serious. Because I'm the king, he allowed sin in his life. And we've seen the effects of it. My friend, sin is serious. Sin opens the door. If Judas had political motives, it shows that he formed in his own mind a misguided concept of what Jesus' ministry was about. But before we're too hard on Judas, remember, all the disciples abandoned Jesus, didn't they? All of them. Even Peter, who became one of the great leaders of the early church, denied Jesus Christ. In Matthew 26, 69 and 70, Now Peter sat outside the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. So even Peter denied, knowing him. Praise the Lord. Peter and the others returned to the Lord after his resurrection. And they served him faithfully. Judas, though, he felt much regret for what he had done. He tried to take the money back and give it back to the chief priest. But that was going to do no good, was it? Do you know the 30 pieces of silver is the price of a slave? In Exodus 21, 32, it says, If an ox gores a male or female servant, slave, he shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall shall be stoned. So, Jesus was betrayed for the price of a slave. Hard to imagine, isn't it? Let's look at what happened to Judas in Matthew 27, 3-10. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed, and went out and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. How amazing that they knew that. And they're the ones that gave it to him. That's hard to grasp, isn't it? They knew it was blood money that they themselves had given him so they wouldn't put it in the treasury. And they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury the Strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they, the children of Israel, priced, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Judas was not only used, being used by Satan in our passage. He was not the only one being used by Satan in our passage. I can't read what I have typed here. The chief priests and the scribes, my friends, also were being used by Satan. It's hard to fathom that they sought to kill. They're they're leaders. They're, they're, They're God's people. And they're seeking how they can kill someone. Jesus had many interactions with them. He knew who was guiding them. He knew that they had opened the door to let Satan in. In eight, John chapter eight, verses thirty-seven through forty-five. He says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. They said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. But Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? That's a good question. Why did they not understand? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. That's Jesus speaking to the religious leaders. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. My friends, there are a lot of pretenders found in this passage of Scripture, isn't there? The chief priests, they are pretending to be God's holy men, but yet they're plotting to kill Jesus. Judas, pretending to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ, yet he sought to betray Him. There used to be a man that I worked with many years ago. Myself and three other employees, we were in Philadelphia doing training. I was on training and was going to become a supervisor, and I did for a while. There was a man that we worked with, and I won't say his name i'll just call him let's call him george that's not his name he appeared to be a faithful follower of jesus christ this man was very active in his church i think he taught sunday school he he was there all, all the time he seemed very active he we talked about the lord at work seemed very george seemed very faithful a true believer in jesus christ is what I thought he was, and others that I worked with was. One of the other persons that was at school with me in Philadelphia was Greg, uh, was an in-law. And so we get up one morning and he gets a phone call from someone else at work, letting us know that George had been arrested, had been charged with child molestation, and we're like, blown away. We're like, "There's no way. This can't be true." This has to be a false accusation. But friends, it wasn't. It wasn't true. It's heartbreaking. His wife ran a daycare. And this man exposed himself to young children. A pretender. He pretended to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Twelve years I know that he served prison. It is my hope and my prayer that he truly did repent. Hopefully he is following the Lord right now faithfully. I don't know. But my friends, there's many pretenders out there. Mm -hmm. I know this message has talked a lot about what we shouldn't do. But my friends, most importantly, do not be a pretender. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You may fool some of the people. Like George fooled Probably all of his co-workers fooled me. I was blown away. But you cannot fool Jesus Christ. He knows the truth. He knows if you're just a pretender. We must choose rightly. We must choose to do the right thing. We must choose to live for Him. We must choose to live a righteous life. Joshua. 24, 14, and 15. And I'm bringing it down for landing. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. Probably shouldn't have to read any more, right? Serve him in sincerity and in truth. Don't be a pretender. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We get to choose, friends. We can choose Jesus. We can choose the one who can set us free from our sins. John eight thirty six says, "Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed." My friends, if you're walking, if you're hearing this word, if you're going to hear it, you might be hearing it a month from now over the internet. I don't know, but if you're hearing this word, if you're walking in sin, I plead with you: choose Jesus. Amen. Choose not to be a pretender, but choose to honor Him, to serve Him in sincerity. And in truth. As I shared earlier, today is the day of salvation. If you're walking in sin, please repent of your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And He will be faithful and just to forgive you of all of your sin. And your names will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life the moment you repent and believe on Him. Amen.